Everyone, today we're on a series called The Fruit of the Holy Spirit, and we're talking about the things that God produces in us as we walk and talk and relate with Him. Uh, our memory verse is Galatians 5.22. Wait, take it off the screen. Go back to the title. I wonder if y'all can memorize. Y'all got it memorized now? It's been four weeks, okay? Four weeks. Good and strong. You ready? Good and strong, okay? Galatians 5.22. Go. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, and self-control. How many of y'all actually got all the way through? I know our teachers got all the way through. Put it back on the screen. Starts with love and it closes with self-control. Now here's what we're going to do today. We're going to do parts five and six today. So for your notes, part five and six, we're going to talk about give kindness and goodness. Now here's why I did this. Um, I could easily do two separate ones and do the whole theology behind the difference between kindness and goodness. But the goal of a teacher is not to show how much knowledge the teacher has. The goal of a teacher is for people to actually learn. So when I was praying about it this week, I thought that it would be easier for you to receive and apply if I just simplified and put kindness and goodness together. Okay, so that's what we're doing. There's actually scriptures in the Bible where God put these two in the same scripture. Romans 2, 4, referring to God, says this, Do you have no regard for the wealth of his kindness? Are you ignorant of the fact that his goodness leads you to repentance? In other words, God's kind and good to you so that you'll have the desire to change. And just so you know, that's also what helps other people have the desire to change. Not condemnation, but when you're kind and good. First Thessalonians 5.15, it says, Always aim to show kindness and to seek to do good to one another and to everybody. Okay, here's what I want you to get today. Everybody, under the category of everybody, are atheists. Under the category of everybody are homosexuals. Under the category of everybody are northerners and southerners and easterners and westerners. Okay, we're all under there together. And the Christians who attend your church, who either sit in your seat when you're coming in, or who tell you this seat is saved and that person they're saving it for is 15 minutes late for church. Those are the people we're supposed to be kind and we're supposed to be good to. Here's the, here's the big the aha today. This is your ministry. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to learn to preach a sermon. You don't even have to quote scripture. You were created to be good and kind to people. Because Jesus loves people more than he loves anything else. The only thing you can take to heaven with you is people. Jesus died for people. Uh, a lot of times we get so caught up in, in the second coming of Christ. You know, is it pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib? We get caught up in the, in, the, in, the, in the Greek words behind it or the Hebrew words. Or are we getting this doctrine correct? We get all caught up in all this theological junk and we forget the reason we're here is to be good to people. It's not complicated. It's not hard. In fact, it was so weird this week studying for a sermon to teach Christians, hey, we're supposed to be good to people. It was very unusual for me. This was the ministry of Jesus. He didn't come to earth to make sure everybody's doctrine was right. He didn't come to earth to tell everybody what they were doing wrong. His ministry was healing the sick, uh, blessing the children, feeding the hungry. Uh, encouraging the lonely. Acts 10.38. This is an amazing scripture because it involves all three, all trinity right here. Watch this. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit. Let's see why. So he went everywhere just doing good. You want to be like Jesus? Just do good to people. 
You want to be more like Jesus. The reason that you come to the Bible studies you come to during the week isn't for you to get smarter. It's for you to learn how to be good to people. The reason we're in church right now is not for you to feel like that you've you know, learned some incredible uh, biblical truth. It's for you simply to have the faith that you need to leave here so you can be good to people. It's all about people. All, all, all about people. Psalms 37.3, trust in the Lord and do good and you'll feed on his faithfulness. I know a lot of people, uh, they think all they have to do is trust in the Lord. That's great, but it adds to it, you've got to do good as well. There are people around you who are praying for a miracle in their life today, and you could be that miracle. It's so funny. As I was walking in, I was walking in the door over here at church earlier, just this is an hour, 30 minutes ago, and one of the one of my church members came and they said, um, do you know anybody that works at a restaurant? I'm trying to get a bunch of avocado seeds so that I can do it for my health and boil it and this stuff. And he's talking to me, and I thought, I don't know how I'm going to get an avocado seed. I'm the pastor. That's not, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember what avocado looks like. As he was saying that to me, somebody else walked in church and heard it and said, oh, I'll do it for you. I work at a restaurant. I'll take care of it. That's our ministry, to find a need and meet a need. That's, that's what's going to get you the rewards in heaven. Not preaching to everybody what they're doing wrong and you're better than them and all this other spiritual. You know, there's people we see in our life and we think, man, they're so spiritual. Oh, they just know the word's so good. Oh, I'm not as good as them. Here's my question. Are they being good to people? That's it. I told you how each one of the fruit have to do with something specific in our life. I'll put it on the screen. Love is for relationships. Joy for strength. Peace for hearing God. Patience is for God's perfect timing. Giving kindness and goodness. Here's what it's for. It's for your future. Your future depends on if you're kind and good to people right now. Your future blessings, your future harvest, your future rewards. Your rewards when you get to heaven are going to be based on how good you were to people. Um, you're going to be remembered when you die, not for how much you got in life, but how much you gave to people in life. That's how you're going to be remembered. Luke 6, 38, here's about your future. Watch this. Give to others, and God will give generously to you. Not begrudgingly, but generously. The way you treat others is the way you will be treated. So when you think, man, I missed church, and, and nobody called me. Whoa, whoa, how many people have you called when you saw they missed church? Well, nobody came to visit me when I was sick. How many people have you visited when they were sick? Well, nobody helped me out financially. How many people have you helped out financially? You have, right now in life what you've sown in the past and you're going to have in your future based on what you're sowing right now it's all about I could prove it to you biblically every single book in the New Testament can tell us the level to which you love Jesus or the level to which your spouse loves Jesus or the level to which your friends or your children the level to which a person loves Jesus is equal to the level in which they love serve and give to the human race it's equal to that. Every single book in the New Testament points to Because Jesus didn't say, hey, if you love me, because I washed your feet, you should wash mine. Jesus said, I washed your feet so you could go wash some person's feet. And I hear all these spiritual weirdos talking about, I serve Jesus. Jesus, what can I do? It's about people. But Jesus, I want to wash your feet. Nope, you go wash somebody else's feet. I gave my life for people. What are you doing for people? Can you tell, I'm a little bit passionate about this subject. I, I really, uh, I like this subject. So three points for you today. They all start with the letter B for booyah. Number one is this, a better future. It affects your future. Galatians 6, 8 through 10. Whatsoever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. 
Let me say this way. Whatever you give is what you're going to get. Whatever you plant is what you're going to harvest. This word sow, for those of you that are new at the Bible, it's a, it's a farming term. It's not your grandma who hems your pants, okay? That's a different kind of sow. This is about releasing seed. Now, in order to sow, you have to release something. You have to let go of something you have. Um, if you don't let go of what you have, what you have is all you're going to have. But if you let go of what you have, then God will give you a harvest and you'll have more for yourself and for others. But you have to release it. It's really important you understand that. Plant selfishness, which is ignoring the needs of others, you'll have a harvest of weeds. Not the good weed, the bad weeds. Um, so do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. So as often as we have the chance, do, what's that word? Do, what's the word? Do good, especially to those in your household of faith. Let me explain this part. There's actually several scriptures in the New Testament that say it starts with your church family, and here's why. Imagine if I fed um, kids that lived in my neighborhood that lived down the street, but I didn't feed my own children. At one point, they think, well, I don't want to live with my dad. I'm going to go live with him because he's taking care of them. So a lot of churches, they get it backwards. They all want to go outside the walls, and that's great, but they have to take care of their own first so that we have what we need to go take care of the world. And there's not one single member of Solid Rock who's in need. And if there is, let me know, and we'll take care of it. Not one. We take care of every member of our church. And then we go to attendees, and then we go outside the church after we take care of all of you. If you need money, if you need wisdom, if you need encouragement, if you need time, energy, if you need help with a task, we take care of you. And that's why our church is incredibly blessed, because we take care of our first. So we do that, starts the church, and then it goes outside of that. Here's what I want you to see. Um, it's a law that God established called sowing and reaping. There's the law of gravity. Now, you don't have to believe in it for it to be in effect. Uh, you can climb a ladder and then, you know, jump, and you're going to hit the ground. Even if you disbelieve in gravity, it's still going to happen. There's another law called the law of sowing and reaping. Uh, Genesis 8.22 says, as long as the world exists, there's seed time and there's harvest. You don't have to believe in this for it to work, but you will reap what you sow. If you want an orange tree, you have to plant an orange seed. If you want mercy in your future, you got to show mercy now. If you want love, you got to give some love. Whatever you need and want. Let me say this. You already possess everything that you need to have what your provision should be. You just got to release it. If you'll release your seed, God will give you a harvest. The point is, the seed always comes first. Some of you are waiting for your ship to come in. You haven't sent a ship out. The seed always comes first. You want somebody to do this for you, open this door, help you with this, you need a miracle. Who are you supplying a miracle for today? Give kindness, give goodness, it'll come right back to you. So the whole Bible is full of the law of sowing and reaping. In fact, the Bible itself is a seed. The Bible says God's word is a seed. When you meditate on it day and night, here's the harvest, you'll prosper and have good success. Right? So it's a seed. Now, it, there's thousands of scriptures. I got three or four I want to show you. Ecclesiastes 11.2, invest what you have in, it doesn't say yourself. It doesn't, that's the world, that's the worldview. Invest what you have in others, and then you'll make a profit. You know what's funny? Steve didn't even know what I was preaching on today, and he basically preached my sermon. Invest what you have in people, you'll make a profit. Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, here's what they get. They get mercy. Now, if you don't want any mercy next year, then don't give any out today. 
If you think you're going to live a perfect life until the day you die and you don't want anybody to show you mercy, then just keep on withholding that mercy. But if there's a chance that you're going to need some mercy tomorrow, you better give some out today. And as a side note, only failures need mercy. People that are doing everything right, they don't need mercy. Proverbs 18, 24, if a man wants friends, he must sit at home and play on the internet all night. If a man wants friends, he must just sit around and wait for somebody to come knocking on his door and say, will you be my friend? Is that how it works? Now, I know we got a lot of introverts in here, but the Bible's still the same. If a man wants friends, you got to show yourself friendly. Well, how come nobody ever comes and sits beside me? How don't you go sit beside them? Well, nobody greets me. Well, why don't you get up and greet them? And I'm talking about me too. Why didn't the pastor shake my hand? Come shake my hand. With some antibacterial soap on it. Come talk to me. <laughs> Pastor never smiles at me. Why don't you smile at me? I'll smile at you if you smile at me. <laughs> Isaiah 58 10. Give food to the hungry, care for those in need. And here's what you get your light, the, the Amplified says, your light will break forth like the dawn, and your, quit, your healing and provision will quickly come. Okay, some of you in this room, you're sick and in need, and here's why you're selfish and you're self centered. And you're going to stay sick and you're going to stay in need. Um, Job 42.10, the Lord turned the captivity of Job and restored his fortunes after he prayed for himself. Is that what it says? After he prayed for somebody else. We were at um, MUSC and my son Asher was 2008 and he was, you know the story, he was laying there on his deathbed. Uh, every few days, weeks, his body was stopped, a part of his body was stopped working. And, you know, his, first his feet, his hands, and it got all the way to where he got into a coma. We watched it slowly take place. The doctor's telling us he's going to die. There was a little girl in the room next to us, and you could see through the window. She had been in a horrible accident. She was maybe 8, 9, 10 years old. She had to have some of her limbs cut off. And um, when she was awake, she was in incredible pain. They just kind of put her back to sleep most of the time. What was unusual was I never saw anybody visit the little girl. And we were there for weeks and weeks and months, and we would talk to the nurses, and they can't tell us much because of the privacy laws, but at one point we had a report with one of the nurses, and she shared with us the little girl's parents. They all got in an accident. It was the parents' fault. And upon arriving on the scene of what took place, they knew that she was going to die, that it was just a matter of weeks till she died. So they dropped their little girl off at MUSC, not to return and just let her die alone. And um, now this isn't going to sound like a big deal to you, but it was a big deal for me to walk out of my child's hospital room and to go pray for another child. Listen, I'll be honest, in my heart, I didn't care if the whole world burned as long as my child was going to be healed. That's all I cared about. But I knew I had to get some seed in the ground. So we'd go over to the little girl's room every day. We'd pray for her and anoint her with oil. We bought her balloons and little stuffed animals, you know. We were the only ones that ever really visited her. She ended up dying, um, which I'll tell you, I would rather her be with Jesus than be healed and be with the parents that she had. Just decided. But anyway, anyway, anyway. Um, but we had to get some seed in the ground. And our child was miraculously, supernaturally healed. And I think in large part because we prayed for somebody else's child. When is the last time you prayed so fervently for another person as if it were your own child that's the kind of prayers that will turn your life around our future is directly connected to how we treat people 
And the reason some of you are so unhappy today is you're not giving out any goodness. You're making it all about you. True story, back in 1960, a little eight-year-old boy named Andy Valdez, uh, he would go out on the streets during the summertime and uh, try to sell newspapers for three cents each. He was raised by a single mother. She worked as well. Andy's goal was to be able to get at least $1 a day after working all day long. There was a rich businessman named Jack Keller who owned a printing shop down the street, and every day Jack would walk by Andy, but Jack already had his newspaper in hand. So Andy said to him when he said, hey, sir, how come you don't buy your newspaper from me? Jack smiled and said, well, maybe I, I will one day. And the next day, not only did he start buying his newspaper from little Andy, but he also hired Andy to work in his printing shop. Eight years old, working, nine years old, ten. At 11 years old, Jack decided to take Andy under his wing, and he brought him to his country club on a regular basis and taught him how to play tennis. When the other kids would make fun of Andy's the color of his skin or the clothes that he would wear, uh, Jack would get down on his knees. He'd grab Andy by the shoulders and say, son, has nothing to do with the outside. It's all about the inside. You just keep doing your best. Andy excelled at tennis, so much so that when he graduated high school, he got a full scholarship to go to college. He decided to become a lawyer. When Jack asked him, he said, why do you want to be a lawyer? Andy said, because the lawyers at your country club wear nicer clothes than the drug dealers in my neighborhood. Today, it's not Andy. Today, it is Judge Andrew Valdez. He wrote a famous book called No One Makes It Alone. Judge Valdez, he's known for starting youth programs to help troubled children who were just like him. As the years went on, Judge Andrew lost contact with his old friend, Jack. He tried for six years to find him, to get a hold of him. This is before there was internet, of course, many years ago. No, no avail. One day, uh, Andrew, Judge Andrew Valdez is in a grocery store, and he sees way over in the corner, there's this old man who's about to be arrested. The old man was homeless. He was disoriented, didn't even know where he was. He had health problems. Their eyes met across the store, and it was his old friend, Jack. He was suffering from Alzheimer's. He lost everything he had, and now it was Andy's time to return the favor. For the next four years until Jack passed away, Judge Andrew Valdez took care of his old friend. He said his favorite thing was to walk downstairs in the morning and see Jack holding a newspaper where it all started. I read that and I thought, you know, one day, hopefully, we're all going to be old. We're all going to want somebody to talk to, somebody to call us up and let us tell them the same stories over and over and over again. You got to sow those seeds now for your future. The future always comes. Point number two is this. It'll give you a blessed life. Better future, and it'll give you a blessed life right in the present. Acts 20, 35, a greater blessing comes when you give than when you receive. Proverbs eleven twenty five. be generous and you'll be prosperous. Help others, you'll be blessed. Proverbs 22, 9, the Lord blesses those who give generously. There's 800 scriptures that say that your blessings are connected to how much you give in life. Psalms 37, 26, those who are always generous will have children who are a blessing. Psalms 37, 21, an evil man does not give, but a righteous man gives kindly to others. For such are blessed by the Lord, but the stingy are cursed. 
Now, we all have things we can give. Money, time, wisdom, energy, write people cards, babysit somebody's kid, all that great stuff. Me, personally, I love to give financially, and it's because it's in my blood. My grandparents did it. My parents did it. There were times where my grandparents, there were many, they gave millions of dollars to ministries, to people. They'd buy cars for people all the time. There were several years of their life where they lived off of 10% of their income and gave 90% of their income. There was a couple in my church years ago, a wonderful older couple back in 2010, I think it was. Their names were Jim and Sandy, and they were always giving. I mean, anytime there was a need, first ones to write a check. You know, they did it secretly, though. I mean, I, I knew they'd hand it to me and say, hey, give this to this person. We don't want them to know it's from us, and on and on they went. I remember one day I walked outside of church, and I saw them getting in their one vehicle that they shared, and it was an ugly, green, old car. And I went up to them, and I said, hey, why don't you guys get yourself a new car? They said, it's got air conditioning. That's all we need. I thought, that's weird. I went to visit them in their house one day. They lived in a mobile home. I said, why don't y'all get yourselves a, a nicer house? They said, what's wrong with this one? It's paid off. It's all we need. I remember talking to them one day, and I knew they were very, very well off. And I said to them, why don't y'all do more for yourselves? Very boldly, very sternly, they said, if we do more for ourselves, we can't do what we do for everybody else. You know, that's my goal in life, to live under your means so you can be a blessing to others. Last year, and I don't say it to brag because I have a lot of weaknesses, tons of weaknesses, but one of my strengths is that I do love to give. Last year, I was able to give 40% of my income away. This year, I'm scheduled to give 50% of my income away. Here's why. Because I love people. I, I was going through Market Common a few months ago, and there was this big, beautiful house for sale. I mean, gorgeous house. And I thought, God, I'd love to live in a house like that. Be close to the church, how beautiful it is. I did the math and I thought, I can totally afford this. I could live in that house, but I'd have to stop helping this person and stop giving to this family and stop doing this here. And I was talking to God about it. He said, son, when you stop giving, you definitely won't have enough for that. You won't even have enough for the house you're in. The reason you're blessed the way you are is because you keep giving. See, every person in this room, we're either a, a pitcher or a glass. People with glass, they walk around, give me, give me, give me, give me. People with the pitcher, they just keep pouring in, and God will always make sure your pitcher is full when you're going around giving to other people. And listen, we all have something, something, and I'm really going to get in your business now. I'm really going to upset you. Every one of you in this room could live lower than you do right now to be a blessing to others. I know you could. You don't need Starbucks three times a day. Your kids are out the house. You don't need the big old house you live in anymore. I know I'm getting in your junk, but when you get to heaven, you're going to be really upset when God shows you what you could have done for people and his kingdom on earth. I think we're going to get to see that. We're going to get to see what would happen if we had lived lower than our means because our reward is based on how good we are to people. Genesis 12, 2, he told Abraham, I'll bless you with an abundant increase and you'll be a blessing. And just so you know what it means to be a blessing, he tells us, dispensing good to others. I read how years ago in Africa, the way they were trying to capture these monkeys to bring them to a specific zoo that was over in America, uh, they got this clear barrel. They filled it up with bananas, put it right in the middle of the jungle, and they, um, they put holes in the barrel. And so these monkeys would creep in, and they would squeeze their hand together and stick it in the hole in the barrel, grab the banana, but with their fist clenched, they couldn't get their hand out of the hole. 
So the capture started to walk toward him. You'd think the monkey would let go of the banana, pull his hand out, and climb up a tree. No, 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 no. The monkey held onto it for dear life and became easy prey for its captures. Now, how many of y'all are related to monkeys? Because a lot of people in this room, you live your whole life with your fist clenched, just like this. Scared to release. You're scared you're not going to have enough. I'm going to tell you, you won't have enough if you don't start giving. You won't have enough if you keep your mind on yourself all the time. And there's times every day in life I feel like, God, is this me doing something good or is this you talking to me? And I realized even if it wasn't God telling me to do it, because his word says to do it, he'll always bless me. And I don't do it for a thank you, and I don't do it for them to know I'm a Christian or a pastor. I do it because I love Jesus. A few months ago, I was driving from CVS here at the back. We call it the back gate because it used to be the Air Force Base. And I was driving 707, you know, into Market Common. And there was a guy walking on the side of the road, and um, the rain, this, I mean, like a black cloud of rain was pouring down Conway to coming toward our area. And the way he was dressed, I could tell he must have worked at a, at a place here at Market Common. So I, I, I rolled the window and I said, hey, I said, do you need a ride? <clears throat> you need a ride? He said, yeah, I work at a restaurant up there. I said, oh, I'll, I'm going that way. I'll, I'll give you a ride. So he went to open up my truck door. And I said, no, 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 get in the back of the truck. He said, I don't want to get in the back of the truck. I said, well, I don't know you, buddy. I'm just trying to help you. Just get in the back of the truck. You're not getting inside my truck. He thought about it. I said, cars are coming, man. The light's turning green. He said, if I get in the back of the truck, I might get rained on. I said, if you don't get in the back of the truck, you're going to get rained on for 30 minutes. <laughs> do you want 30 minutes or do you want three minutes? I'm thinking, dude, I'm trying to help you. So he begrudgingly gets in the back of my truck. Now, we're driving. We're missing the rain. I think I'm doing a really good job helping this guy. And the way I evangelize is I'll do things for people, and then I'll wait till I see him again or a third or fourth time. And then I'll present the gospel, I'll pray for him. If I can pray for him, I'll um, at, you know, tell him what God has done for me, and this is why I love to bless, whatever I do. So I thought, well, I might not see this guy again, so I want to work up a really good evangelistic line when he gets out of the truck. And I'm thinking, what do I say, what do I say? And, and he's going to be so appreciative, and so I'll just go ahead and tell him, I'm the pastor, and I want you to visit my, I'll pick you up. If you need a ride, I'll pick you up, I'll bring you to church. I was already, I was so excited. <clears throat> we get to the restaurant, he gets out of the truck, I thought, for sure he's going to walk up to the window and say thank you. He doesn't even look in my direction. He holds his hand out as far as he can with his middle finger straight in the air, right at the window of my truck. So I roll over to the turn of the side and I hit him. He broke his ankle. I had to take him to the emergency room. I didn't do that. I thought, you jerk. I, did, I promise I didn't do that part. That part, he did flick me off though. But anyway, I thought this, you know what? It don't matter. God's going to bless me anyway. It's all about God, right? He's going to bless me. First Timothy 6, 18 says, Have faith in God who is rich and blesses us with everything we need. Instruct the rich. Let me rephrase that. Instruct those who live in America, have food in their uh, refrigerator, have air conditioning in their home, have a vehicle and a job. Instruct the rich to be quick. Here's why it instructs them to be quick. Because rich people will talk themselves out of it. Well, I can't buy this if I do this. Or I got to do that. Da, 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 da. No, God will provide if you, do, if you get on his payment plan. His payment plan is giving to people. Instruct the rich to be quick to give and have a generous heart. This will determine their... You see, you thought your future was based on your 401k, didn't you? That's a bless your heart. That's a southern term. 
I won't tell you what it means in northern terms because I'm we don't have a bleep machine here but anyway bless your heart your future is determined by how generous you are in life point number three is this the butterfly effect the butterfly effect so the butterfly effect was a doctoral thesis written in 1963 by Ed Lorenz his thesis stated that a butterfly on one side of the world can flap its wings set a, a system of molecules in motion the air will touch a flower the bee touches the flower. on and on it goes and the the butterfly on one side of the world can affect weather patterns on the other side of the entire world his thesis was showing that god made the earth so perfect and everything affects everything Everything we do affects everything on the whole planet Earth, right? The encouragement you gave this person for 10 minutes caused them to make this decision. They made that decision, hired this person, on and on it goes. It affects everything. Up until the 90s, from 63 to the 90s, it was just a crazy myth. They made weird movies about it, sci-fi stuff. But in the 90s, they discovered it was actually true. And it's actually given the status of a law. It's the law of sensitive dependence upon initial conditions. It was proven totally correct. In other words, you plant a seed, right, an orange seed, it turns into an orange tree, produces oranges, and then hundreds of more seeds are produced. Then you plant those hundreds of seeds, they turn into thousands of oranges, on and on it goes, and you end up feeding the whole world by one little seed. It affects everybody. The law of sensitive dependence upon initial conditions works whether you believe it or not, just like gravity, just like the law of sowing and reaping. So if everything we do and everything we give affects the entire world, what happens when we withhold a seed? What happens when we don't do what God told us to do? What happens when we don't step in faith and help somebody that God put in our life? What happens then? Many years ago, I was watching an ABC uh, show. It was a Friday night. It was called ABC's Person of the Week. And they would take, they would highlight some famous guy or woman in history who did something great for mankind. And this particular week on ABC's Person of the Week, they featured a man named Norman Borlaug. Norman Borlaug, back in the 1940s, he was working at an agriculture company. He discovered a way for wheat to grow in times of famine, to hybridize wheat in arid climates, South America, Africa, all his work. They calculated that when he did all that work, that up until this point, this may be 10, 15 years ago when I saw this episode, up until that episode, they counted about 2 billion lives being saved, all because Norman Borlaug figured out a way for wheat to grow in times of famine. For that, he actually got a Nobel Peace Prize, and that week he was ABC's Person of the Week. But I don't think it should go to Norman Borlaug. I think ABC's Person of the Week should be given to a man named Henry Wallace. Henry Wallace was the vice president for Roosevelt. Uh, two different terms. Roosevelt had four terms, three different vice presidents. Twice it was Henry, twice it was Henry Wallace. Henry Wallace was the former uh, secretary of agriculture before he was the vice president. He had a passion for botany, a passion for what plants could do for mankind. So when he became the vice president, he used his influence, his money, to create a station in Mexico whose sole purpose was to figure out a way to hybridize wheat for arid climates. Once he became the vice president, all of the money, all of the research, all the time and energy that he went to that station in New Mexico, he had to give it to somebody to take over, and he gave it to Norman Borlaug. He hired him to do the work. Within just a few months, Norman Borlaug took all the work that Henry Wallace put in for decades of his life, and Norman Borlaug figured out a way for wheat to grow in times of famine. For that, Norman Borlaug got the Nobel Peace Prize and became ABC's Person of the Week. Unless, 
Unless you think it shouldn't go to Henry Wallace, it could go to a young man named George Washington Carver. George Washington Carver was the guy who figured out 266 ways to use the peanut. He found out 88 ways to use the sweet potato. At age 19 years old, when George Washington Carver was in college, he would go on botanical expeditions on the weekends. His college professor loved him and trusted him so much that his college professor would send his six-year-old son to be babysat by George Washington Carver on the weekends. George spent years pouring into this little boy, age six, age seven, age eight, and showed him the passion of agriculture and what it could do to help people and how one seed could help a hundred families, and on and on it went. George Washington Carver steered this young boy in a direction, put something in his heart. The young boy's name was Henry Wallace. Henry Wallace grew up, looked for a job, found one from Norman Borlaug, who found out how to hybridize sweet and arid climates, became Nobel Peace Prize winner and ABC's Person of the Week. Maybe it shouldn't go to George Washington Carver, though. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it should go to a farmer named Moses from Diamond, Missouri. While he was a farmer in Missouri, it was actually a slave state. Moses was a white guy. He didn't believe in slavery, so he'd let African-Americans sleep in his barn, hide out on his property. He'd feed them. He'd clothe them. One cold night in January, a group of the KKK, better known as Quantrell's Raiders, they came through Moses' farm, and they burned the farm to the ground, and they shot and killed every person they could find with dark-colored skin. They left one woman alive. Her name was Mary. They tied her up with a rope, and while they were on horseback, they dragged her away in the field. When Moses came out running over his house, seeing the fire of his barn, seeing dead bodies all over the place, he saw this woman being carried away by horseback. She was holding something very small in her hands. It looked like a newborn baby. Moses was scared to death. He didn't know what to do. He thought, there's nothing I can do. I have nothing left. They burned it to the ground. I have dead bodies laying in the yard. But his wife, Susan, was a very strong-willed, determined woman. She found out where Quantrell's raiders would hide out, where they, where they would stay. She sent a letter and demanded a meeting with them, offering to pay for the life of the woman who they dragged away. She finally got the meeting set up on the border of Kansas, she sent her husband Moses on the last horse that he had left. He traveled all through the night. It was snowing, it was cold, it was freezing. He finally got to the edge of Kansas where Quantrell's Raiders, Raiders were. He told them, I'm here to pay for the life of the woman who you dragged away. They're wearing their sheets, they got the eyes cut out. They said, we killed her, but we'll give you what she was holding on to if you give us your horse. He got off of his last horse, handed it to him, they threw him a burlap sack and they turned around and ran away. He opened up the burlap sack and inside was a newborn baby boy freezing to death, barely even moving. He took the baby out of the sack, put him on the inside of his shirt, underneath his jacket, up to his skin to try to warm him up. Moses walked all through the entire night to the next day in the cold. When he finally reached his home, he collapsed on the ground. Susan runs outside, she grabs the little baby, she could tell he's not moving, he's not breathing very well. She pulled him inside, put him by the fire, and began to massage his body. Still no crying, nothing. So Mary got on her knees and she said a prayer. She said, Lord, if you'll let this baby live, we will raise him as our own child and we'll educate him in honor of his mother who helped keep him alive. Just like that, the baby started breathing and crying again. That's how Moses and Susan Carver became the proud parents of George Washington Carver. 
So in reality, a farmer's wife from Diamond, Missouri deserves to be ABC's Person of the Week. Unless... Matthew 25, 40 says, whenever you did it for one of the least important believers, Jesus says you did it for him. Listen, I'm not asking you to save the lives of two billion people. I'm not. I'm asking you to be willing to give away your horse if it helps somebody else in need. <laughs> and that can set a series of motion to the point where two billion lives are saved because one person decided to do something for somebody else. When you leave this place, so kindness, so goodness, give encouragement, babysit somebody's kid, pay for somebody's groceries. I, I'll tell you, I, I think we all need a thing, a thing that's our thing that we do for people. And I, I wasn't going to tell you this, but uh, my thing is I love to buy groceries for people. When I was 20 years old, I had two kids married, and uh, I went to get groceries at Walmart, diapers, wipes, you know, all the stuff, and card was declined. I thought, oh, this is so embarrassing. Can you please put back the milk? Can you put back the formula? You know, finally, whatever. Three months later, it happened again. The second time it happened, an older gentleman behind me who's never seen me before reached over and paid for my groceries. I said, God, if you'll bless me, I'll do that for people the rest of my life. That's my thing. I'll just go through Walmart, just swipe my car, turn and walk away. They don't need to know my name. They don't need to network. None of that stuff. I just do my thing. And I did it 20 years ago. And when I started tithing and started giving, I didn't make more money, but all my bills were paid and I was able to help people. If you don't start blessing people, don't think, well, one day when I get money, then I'll really da-da-da. If you don't do it now, you'll never get to that place. You got to start right. We all need a thing. We all need a thing that we do that's secret, that we do to help. That's our thing. When you give kindness, when you give goodness, it'll always come back to you. It'll determine your future, not just on earth, but even your rewards that are in heaven. Amen? That's all I got for you today. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Maybe you are in need and you forgot about the seed. If you hold on to what you got, that's all you're going to get. It's very easy to get on God's financial plan because He always keeps His word. He always keeps His word. He always keeps His word. So if you're here today and you've been making life about yourself lately and you wonder why things are not changing, and you want to start doing the very thing that you were created to do, the reason God blesses you, the reason He provides, the reason He gives is because He knows He can trust us to be a blessing everywhere we go so I want to pray for you today if you need a if you need a thing if you need a this is this is my thing this is what this is what God is using me to do to help people I want to I want a thing maybe it's writing letters of encouragement maybe it's babysitting someone's kids maybe it's cleaning somebody's house maybe it's giving somebody a ride three times a week 
to a doctor appointment or picking them up for church. You need a thing. You need, you're, a, you're a farmer. You need to get some seed in the ground. So everybody in this room that wants to start being the farmer God's called them to be, can you just lift your hand so I can pray for you right now? Lord, we thank you for blessing us with an abundant blessing so that we can dispense good to other people. God, we thank you that it is very clearly seen in your word that we possess what we need to determine our future. We determine our future. You have a bright future for us, but we get to choose if we're going to give what we're supposed to give and sow what we're supposed to sow to get to that future. So Lord, give us the conviction that we need from the Holy Spirit to start releasing more seed into the ground. Lord, help us to pray for each other as if we were praying for ourselves. Lord, help us to give mercy like it's going out of style. Give mercy like it's oxygen. Give mercy like we got billions and billions of pounds of it. Lord, thank you for using us to build your kingdom and to help your people. We know whether we get the thank you back or not, you're going to bless us. We know that, 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 that whether people see what we do or not, you're going to bless us. So we do it for you. Let us all in this room be pitchers. Walking around, pouring into people, knowing that God will always pour into us. We thank you, Lord, for the fruit of the Spirit. The things that you grow in our life. And we thank you for being a good, good God. In Jesus' name, everybody said.